Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. We are now in over 50 countries, and I really appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate my guests as well, all of whom have phenomenal stories of victory over traumatic experiences, over um, serious problems in their lives, and giving hope to those who may be going and struggling in the same areas. And so I thank you, both listeners and my guests. Today we have Jenna Forster. Jenna is an executive coach, a radio talk show host, a motivational speaker, and an author. Now there was a point in Jenna's life when she was forced to deal with a physical diagnosis that literally changed her life. At that point she was driven and immersed herself into the field of neuroscience. She is now a trainer certified in the study of brain and neuroplasticity. This is going to be really interesting, and I'm excited to hear what she has to share with us today. So welcome, Jenna. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for the introduction. It's my pleasure to be here with you and all the listeners. Absolutely. So let's talk first about what happened when you received that diagnosis that changed your life. What happened that, and during the transition there? Sure. Um, it was about seven and a half years ago, and I was actually training for a half marathon that I was planning to run. And I was running down a trail, and out of the blue, my left leg folded and, and went out from under me. and. I went down on the trail, and for the life of me, I could not will my leg to move. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was like someone flipped a light switch that changed everything in my life. And um, I had lost the use of that leg, and then my right arm was also um, starting to become numb, and I couldn't use that. So here I was, laying in the middle of a trail, not really sure <laughs> where... Where what was happening and what was going on, and um, it started a very long journey for me. You had no indication before that that something was wrong. I think hindsight's a beautiful thing, and I think if I really stopped and paid attention, there were lots of signs mm. um, that I was choosing to ignore. I was very much an individual that sort of that bull in the china shop, you know, put your head down and muscle through things <laughs> and get through everything, and so. You know, you, you have a, a life of that, and 
and I was just used to working through things and um, not letting things slow me down or get me down. So the beautiful universe that we have uh, had to up the ante for me and literally take away my ability to run. How did that affect you emotionally? Well, at first I didn't know what was going on. So fear, lots of fear and lots of unknowingness that was happening in me. At the time I had two little children. Um, one was just about three and one was about six. So and I was a single parent. And so life changed rapidly because I had then lost my mobility and I was not able to to take care of basic needs, not only for myself, but for these two children. So I definitely went right into the place of fear mode and not, you know, when you're, a, I'm a recovering, I always joke that I'm a recovering control freak. <laughs> I don't I don't ever say recovered because I still have work to do, but <laughs> definitely a recovering control freak. And when you lose control. Wow, I hear you. <laughs> Yeah. There's so, nothing worse, is there? <laughs> no, there's really nothing worse. I think it's very scary. And, and I also, you know, in, in my perception at the time, I had a, a good life, you know, a successful business. I was healthy, I thought. Um, I was reaching goals. I was in leadership roles within my community. I had these two great little beings as children. Um, life was, quote, unquote, good. And then all of a sudden, it, in, at the time, I felt it just wasn't. And life had to change really drastically. Um, so I was still in that place of fight. I was still trying to fight against what it was happening. You know, I, just, I can just will my leg to work. What is going on here? <laughs> right. Why can't I just say leg work and my leg work? It, um, so there was a lot of confusion happening for me. At the time. So, what was the next step? Did you found out what was going on, or were you hospitalized? Um, I went to a litany of doctors, uh, twenty-five different specialists. Oh my goodness! A lot of general practitioners, and no one could figure out what was happening. So, I was getting diagnosis after diagnosis, anything from MS to a tumor uh, on my spinal cord to diseases I'd never even heard of like Charcot and Mori Tooth Disease. And I, I was in, on the internet trying to look up <laughs> names of these diseases that I supposedly had. Um, so it was a couple of years that I was going to specialist after specialist. In the meantime, I was getting worse. So I was starting to have cognitive issues. Um, I was starting my balance clearly, um, even on the one leg that I could use was off. I wasn't able to form sentences, so I knew what I wanted to say, but I wasn't able to get the words out, or I would choose the wrong word. I was stuttering. Um, I was having all of these, my sight was starting to go in and out. I was having these horrible headaches. There was just pages of, of different symptoms that I was going through and not understanding what it was. And then the constant, um, again, fear of, oh, now I have this, or now, well, now I could have this, or, and every doctor would, would uh, say, no, it's not that, I think it's this. So it was a very long journey to even figure out what I did have, and I was fortunate enough to be in with the right doctor that said, 
have you ever considered Lyme disease? Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Which is a disease that I think most people are aware of now. They maybe weren't back then. Of your bit, I was bit by a tick. I was, um, I was a very outdoorsy person. I, I love nature. I still love nature, and I'm out in it whenever I can be. Um, and a tick had bit me, and I contracted Lyme disease, which just isn't just Lyme disease. You get about six other co-infections that can come with it. So um, I finally got the diagnosis, and then I was able to start to understand what was going on with me. And where are you now? Um, now I am quite healthy. I've been able to recover from this. I still have mobility issues where um, sometimes I don't have the best balance. Um, so I, I always say I'd never pass a, a test if I was pulled over <laughs> because I can't walk a straight line. But uh, <laughs> but other than that, I have uh, full cognitive ability. I, I don't have any other cognitive issues. Um, I don't have any more seizures. I've been able to um, build back my life and really start to engage again in the things that I love. And um, I have a very small piece that's still just sometimes my my leg doesn't want to work so well, and that's usually when my stress level is quite high, um, and I know exactly what to do. Of course, that makes all the sense in the world. Our stress can definitely affect us in the physical. It can, yes, and it always does. <laughs> now there was how long of was there let's get a timeline here so how long was the time before you actually got the diagnosis and then how long was it when you started to take matters into your own hands um, from when I got the diagnosis I spent so this is a seven and a half year journey for me um, I spent the first couple of years trying to find the diagnosis um, and then probably gave another three and a half, four years to the medical system, um, getting some pretty harsh treatments um, for Lyme disease. And, and then I, I, I called uncle, and I wanted to understand, I wanted to understand myself better, and I wanted to understand my body better. And that's what embarked this whole journey on into neuroscience and understanding the brain-body connection and how our healing really comes from the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional level. Now, this also was part and parcel to the reason you wrote your books, is it not? It is. It is. I actually wrote, um, I write journals uh, as one of the things that I write. And I wrote One Woman's Life Lessons actually um, on some very dark days where uh, I was brought to by the ocean um, and and pretty much could just sit there, I couldn't move, um, and I would just look out and and this is where the book came from, on some of the things that I'd already learned through the process of healing and some of the, lear- the things I've learned about myself through all of this, because that's, uh, in my opinion, that's where the healing started is when I, I turned back inward to myself. And how has that helped you to help others? Like, how have you used that? Mm. So, um, at the time this happened, I'd already had a great deal of experience in the personal development field. I've been an executive coach for a long time, 
And so I've always worked in the field of personal development, and this process for me really brought to the forefront that um, A, no matter what is happening in our lives, there's one constant, and that's ourselves. And we always have the ability to come back to ourselves. And that was pivotal for me to be able to do. Because before I became ill, I was always projecting outward. So I was um, really living a life that was based on giving my power away. And what I mean by that is uh, always being concerned with how I was coming across, always being concerned about what other people think of me, um, always looking for other people's opinions, to check in with things, and never really doing things for the sake of me, always doing things for the sake of others, um, whether it be business or personal. And so I really led a life that was full of giving my power away. And not until I made the conscious choice to take back my power in a positive way, um, was I able to make any shifts. So my work now uh, really consists of helping individuals to connect to themselves and to brush away all of the complexity that we can we create in our lives um, and really dig down to what matters and their, what's important to them and how they want to move forward. So it's, it's really an inner game for me now in the conversations that I have. Now, what did you specifically do to change that mindset? Because that had to be a huge revelation that you needed to make this change, correct? It, it was. It was actually, I remember the day I was at the time getting intravenous antibiotics. I was under heavy dose antibiotics. And I was very, very sick. And I couldn't sit up more than two hours in a day. I was having seizure after seizure and I was getting the, the message of you can't have any more seizures because you won't come back from them. Wow. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, so I, I remember distinctly sitting on the couch watching my life around me and not having any influence on it or being even from the sake of being able to get up and make my children dinner. Um, I wasn't able to, quote-unquote, do anything or take any kind of action. And I was always such an action-oriented person. The only thing that I could do was A, to breathe, and B, just be there with me, for me, right in that moment. Because I couldn't do anything about anybody else. I didn't have the ability. I was not capable. And that's when I decided that if I don't have influence on all of these other facets of my life, then I only have influence over myself so everything that I do starts there. And that was really a game changer for me because I, I made some decisions like stepping away from the, the um, type of treatment I was receiving because it was destroying my organs. It was, it was making a huge detriment to me that would last a lot longer than whether I cured Lyme disease or not. Um, not making my own decisions, um, just being a, uh, really being a victim to the disease and to my life, and 
it, it was very disabling. And um, I've always had this uh, part of me that fought against being quote unquote weak. And then here I was in the moment of very real weakness and um, not being, being very, very vulnerable. Um, and really through the vulnerability of that moment, sitting on the couch there, uh, everything shifted for me. And therein lied your strength. Absolutely. And up until then, I wasn't even comfortable asking. There were certain people in my life that were very close to me, and they really took the reins and, and took care of me. But nobody else knew. I didn't talk about it. I, mm. I just I just went into my to, to my little hole, and I didn't want to appear vulnerable. And um, but you're right. Within the vulnerability is the strength. And if we can talk about these things and have these conversations like you have with your guests, um, hopefully others will give themselves permission be real in whatever it is they're in right now. Oh, I like that. You need to repeat that. Give yourself permission. To be real in whatever you're in right now. Because you're not alone. That's what I learned through all of this. As soon as I embraced my vulnerability, all of a sudden I had, it wasn't just me and the few people that I allowed in. It was an entire community, literally. People I didn't even know coming out of the woodwork. Really? Oh, it was moving, very moving. Did you feel guilty? Um, about asking for help? Well, any, you know, guilt is a, is a weird emotion, right? And it, it certainly can, you know, feel guilty that you actually got sick, feel guilty that you couldn't do what you wanted to do or that you had to ask for people's help. How did you cope with that aspect of it? I had a lot of guilt, and I think shame is, is a silent killer. Um, a lot of shame about not being it. When you're an individual that's always there helping or serving others, and then all of a sudden for me, I was no longer able to do that. I had to ask for help. I had to ask for colleagues to cover my work. I had to um, ask for family members to su- help support me because I was not able to work. I, I had to make all of these acts. So yes, there is a great deal. There was a great deal of guilt and shame that happened for me within that. I'm going to tell an interesting story. This last year, I went to Hawaii with a group of my very dear friends, and I was very blessed to be able to do it. Um, we were we were snorkeling with dolphins out in in the ocean, where they they take the boat out there, mm-hmm. and not having full use of my legs. I, got, I decided I was going to do this, and I got in the water with my flippers. And, well, you, you go in circles when only one leg flips. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> that is funny. funny, though. It is funny. So I had to get out of the water, and the boat captain says, oh, you shouldn't be in the water, and you can't do this, and all that. So I went into my guilt and shame that I wasn't able, right? So it's self-guilt and shame, and then it's guilt and shame outwards. Well, a beautiful leader on this boat came up to me and she said, I would like to take you in the water. I, you hold on to me and I will swim around. Mm. We'll go see the dolphins. That's why I'm here. And at first I said, no, 
that's okay. I'm good. I knew this would be difficult. I'm good. I'll just sit on the boat. <laughs> right? Victim, guilt, shame. Yes. I don't want anybody else out. She took me in the water, and not only was the woman a, a dolphin whisperer, so we had dolphins <laughs> <laughs> flying around us. So I had this beautiful experience. And not until I was able to be vulnerable and let go of the story of that was I able to actually have this experience that will follow me for my entire life. And I had dolphins blowing bubbles up on us. And at one point she just let go of me and I, here I am <laughs> floating in the middle uh, of the ocean, not able to protect myself if anything were to happen, but just trusting, right? And I, and I think that's it. If you can have trust in what you build, have already built around you and the community that you have around you and who you are, it really does change things. That speaks loudly. And, you know, knowing your personality, as you mentioned, being a control freak, it's that much harder. And you're not alone. I mean, there are many people who have suffered, you know, greatly and have had such a difficult time allowing people to help them. And really what I have learned, and I'm sure you have too, you are doing them a disservice because they want to help you. Mm-hmm. And when when you allow them to help you, it helps them. You know, it's reciprocal. And just like this lady, I mean, like she said to you, that's what she was there for, you know, was to help you. And it probably gave her immense pleasure to do that. And look how, how you soared through it as a result. So that was Absolutely. an awesome and story. We, we take, I love that you said that because I completely agree. We take people's ability to grow away when we're not able to to put ourselves in those positions because if we're afraid we're afraid of what right. people think or judge us or mm-hmm. shame us or whatever but we're not really giving people enough credit I don't believe because there's growth for them involved just like you said I totally agree with that you know afterwards she said that was the most beautiful moment she's ever had <laughs> See? <laughs> That's right. Right? You didn't want to deny her of that. You know, but we don't think of it that way. We think, oh, you know, it's okay. I mean, I don't want to be a burden. And we have a little pity party all by ourselves without even realizing it. And we are actually, like I said, doing a disservice to them and also ourselves. So that was a great, great analogy. Thank you. Now, you're an executive coach. Before we talk about your books, tell us a little bit about that. And also, um, maybe incorporate at the same time how you got into the field that you are in. And what, you know, just share that with us. Sure. Um, Yeah, I'm an executive coach and I I have been for almost 14 years. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've been involved with some great uh, individuals, colleagues, um, different, different universities that I get to work with. So I get to create courses and curriculum um, about leadership and personal development. And I get to work with my beautiful clients one-on-one um, that are, are really looking to, to make some shifts. They're, they're feeling, they've, they've achieved status and success and, and now it's a little bit empty. And, um, really? Yeah. We get to connect in at a deeper level and really figure out um, who they are, what they want, and how they want to contribute. And I'm a big believer in mentorship. Um, 
so I do a lot of work with youth um, in order to support them in really before they become adults and they get so set in their ways <laughs> like we all are um, just just trying to build in some some ideology around self-leadership and, and allowing them to own who they are and be proud of that um, so I have a lot of different facets to what I do and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that um, I got into executive coaching actually by fluke uh, way back when I was working and I wanted to have children and I didn't want to go back to my 60 plus work week um, and all the stress that came with what I was doing for work and so I was looking for a career change and a career shift and I have a background in sports and I actually was looking for an opportunity to coach sports hmm. and I found coaching, I found life coaching actually, that's where I started <clears throat> in um, 2000, 2002. Uh, then I, I did life coaching for quite a while and then because of my background in corporate America, I was naturally drawn to work with executives and I've been an executive coach ever since. So it's been a really fun journey and I get to talk to some pretty neat people. And what's more fun, working with uh, the executives or the young people? I love them both because the, the executives, they're now in this mentorship role. So they're, they're bringing up others and that's really what I'm about, right? Okay. Okay. bringing up others so whether I'm doing it directly with youth or as with a group of youth or my clients are doing it with the individuals that are that are in their sphere it's the same thing so I love them both and are there any services that you provide online or is this strictly a one-on-one um, no nope. so I work with the executive coaching university of Colorado and um, that's where I develop courses and there's different courses from the power of neuroscience to um, different levels of leadership. So I get to work in that capacity also where I get to teach and um, work with some pretty neat individuals around the world. Well, basically what I was asking though is, is, this, is there anything available that you have on your website? Mm-hmm. That, that's so what I, I have, mean. Yeah, sorry about that. I have a, a great deal of podcasts. Um, okay. On my radio show that individuals can listen to, um, get a better sense of me okay. and the guests that I had on there. So that's been a really fun um, little little uh, journey that I've been on. And also in the works right now, there's an online course um, called the Inner Game, which will be a a six month online course that's really about us finding ourselves and diving deeper into that. And that will include mindfulness and the power of, of brain science and how we start to take back our ability to make choices. That's phenomenal. And that's available online, you said? Uh, it will be available uh, in the next three months. Okay. All right. We definitely want to be connected to that for anybody that has, you know, um, listened to your broadcast or... Um, has bought your book or whatever, you know, let, let's make sure and follow that up. Do you have a, a name of what it was going to be or? It's called The Inner Game. The Inner Game, that's right, yeah. you said that, sorry. Okay, perfect. And your other book, Wisdom of Nature, what is that about? The Wisdom of Nature was about, came about in the same fashion where 
um, I was in nature and I've worked in the field of leadership for a long time and I think as a whole we make leadership quite complex and um, sometimes difficult to understand. So I wanted to use simple lessons that we can find in nature from water running down a stream, uh, the power of a tree, um, birds floating on a log in the ocean to really teach leadership concepts and simplify all that complexity that we put out there around leadership. So it's, it's really leadership lessons found in nature. I like that. Simplify the complexity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a very simple girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people who love nature are. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So your books are, are, are certainly self-help, but they also help people reflect and, um, and to see nature around them and to appreciate that. That's right. And they are built to be reflective. Um, not a lot of people need me telling them what to do, but they, they, they can, in my opinion, use the ability to, to check in with themselves. And they have the answers. They're already in there. What else would you like to share with us that possibly we haven't covered? And do you have a call to action for the listeners today? Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, I encourage everyone to show up because I think that mountains can be moved when people decide to show up um, and, and shift away from that deflected nature that we can have as human beings. Um, we come into whatever space we're in and we're distracted and we're looking to be who we think everyone wants us to be. And I think that we're missing a big part of us when we do that. When we're always concerned with others, we're never really fully able to be present. So my biggest encouragement for everyone is to slow down. I always say stop, look, and listen. And trust yourself. Check in with yourself. Um, I'm always open for conversation with individuals around this. I have a couple of different websites that I can share if you want um, for people to get a hold of me. Absolutely. I I encourage you to listen to the podcast that I do have. I think that my guests are phenomenal and um, they've really brought great value with me uh, to serve outward. So I encourage that. Yeah. Okay, and also it's so good to hear that you are on the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to say like the winning team. I mean, you're going forward with your health. Absolutely. And improving consistently. And that has to be a huge benefit also for when you talk to people who may be going through their own traumatic experiences in the physical realm. Yes, and the learning that I've been able to have just from that process of never starting to heal until I started to take ownership of me and um, really stay within and connect into myself. And I think we are very powerful, way more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Um, Is this one of the things that you deal with in, in your, um, your course Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. and it's backed up by science. It's 
Okay. Oh, I understand that. It's from your credentials. So that's good to that's good to add. Thank you. And what is neuroplasticity? It's the idea that um, a lot of us, you know, there's no saying it's just the way it is, or it's just the way I am, or it's just the way she is or he is. That's not not a true statement. Um, our brains are actually built to be plastic, which means um, that they can move and shift. And the best way I can describe it, if we're in a place that has a brand new snowfall and we decide we're going to go cross-country skiing, so we put on our skis and we go out and we start to go through the freshly fallen snow and we're making tracks in the snow. And it's a little bit of work at the front half of that because we've got to push through the snow and make these tracks. The next day, there's no, no more snow has fallen. We decide we're going to go out again, so we go in the same tracks and we go through the tracks. Well, it's a little bit easier the next day because the tracks have been laid. And then the following day, we can do the same process. And pretty soon, we really start to glide through the snow easily with, with less effort. And we don't have to think about it. It's the same thing that's happening in our brain. These tracks, our, our brain is electrical currents. These tracks are being laid based on the habits, patterns, beliefs, choices, behaviors that we've exhibited. And that's all that they are. Once we choose a new direction, we can then start to make new tracks. So our brain is very capable and able to make these new tracks and to really change who we are and how we behave in some of our behaviors. It's taking that first step taking that first step and usually the first step is awareness and the next step is slowing down the next step was what slowing down really (laughs) very interesting well i'm excited to uh further check out your website i did listen to a couple of the podcasts and definitely can recommend them um, we will have, of course, all this information in the show notes, and I look forward to when the inner game is available. That was it, right? The inner game? The inner game, yeah. Yeah, when that's available, you know, for you to reconnect with us, and um, and we'll get that on your, on your site as well. Thank you so much, Jenna. It's been very enlightening, and I appreciate many of the tidbits you gave today. I did make notes of them, and I want to put them show notes because again there's so much power in some of the things that you did say even uh, you know simplify the complexity that's huge Um, stop look and listen you know all these things that we need to to think about to sit at the ocean like you said and and to to just soak them in and to turn inward and allow ourselves uh, take to be real, like you said, to give ourselves permission. So I thank you for all those tidbits, which are not tidbits. <laughs> they're quite, they're very large. Thank you. And, it's, and anything else you want to say in closing, we will, like I said, have all the information available, including your, your books and everything on your, on your page. But if there's anything else you want to add before we say goodbye. Well, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and, and thank the listeners for taking the time out. I think people that listen to podcasts, I, I just think there's so much wisdom. That there is. Get. You're right. There's so much that, that we can glean from. And um, I, it's appreciated. All right. Thank you, Jenna, Thanks. again. Yeah, thank you very much. You have yourself a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.